0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another recording of the Roadie on the Horn podcast. My name, as always, is Donovan, and I'm here with my co-host, my good friend, Ryan. Ryan, RK, what's going on? How's your day going?
1: You know, I'm doing good today. Donnie just finished up a hockey practice. It was a lot of fun. It's nice to have that back in my life and get to just, you know, play some tunes, watch some hockey, get ready for the season here at Colgate. So, I mean, wow, I'm just fired up. Hell yeah, we
0: love that. Uh, a positive response from RK season almost underway. We're getting there, so that's a, that's always ideal. Uh, we have some interesting news in sports this week. I mean, we're not going to lie to you and say that uh, it's a super exciting episode, but we do have some really interesting stuff to talk about. Starting off with, there's multiple White Sox topics in here, RK, and both of them are just Really bad. It's it's a really it's been a really rough week for the Chicago White Sox. Obviously, they started off the week just after we recorded last week, I believe, uh firing their vice president Ken Williams and their general manager Rick Hahn. Uh obviously this is a little bit interesting given the fact that uh if you know anything about the White Sox, the same people have been running the show for quite a while, or at least the the same influences, uh the same uh figureheads have been running the show for quite a while, which I actually learned after they were fired I wasn't necessarily aware of the White Sox I don't know a whole lot about the White Sox organization but uh, obviously uh, they are very sick and tired of what has happened this season and they are cleaning house starting at the top uh I'll start let's is it necessary okay we thinking like it had to happen at some point they've been really bad the last couple years you know
1: yeah, it definitely had to happen at some point, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Kenny uh Kenny Williams had been the Sox GM since 2000 and uh had stayed with the organization, you know, since then uh after he moved away from the GM role and into the VP role, but uh I mean, this year was just such a big disaster for the White Sox on and off the field. I mean, on the field was such a joke, but uh off the field obviously with uh you know, stuff hitting the media about um you know, players not showing an effort and they're sleeping during meetings and everything like that. Uh obviously that just screams leadership change and uh maybe and I was still a little bit surprised that Jerry Reinsdorf pulled this trigger, you know, mid-season. Uh, obviously, given the fact that he's been there for over two decades, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, it would take something obviously very drastic, and, and that's obviously the situation uh, at hand here uh, for the White Sox. So uh, it definitely was a needed change, uh, you know, probably a little overdue here at this point. You know, they tried to kind of run things with the core that they uh, had tried to bring up with Moncada and Eloy, and obviously Luis Robert has had a great year, but um, it hasn't been the case for the rest of the team So um, definitely. A, a change that needed to happen, but uh, yeah, just given the fact that uh, you know the White Sox hadn't made changes like that, uh, it probably was a little bit surprising to me to have that happen You know, here uh, with the season uh, not yet over at this point.
0: Yeah, it is really weird. It doesn't seem like we see that a whole lot uh, in the MLB. It feels like they wait until the end of the year, and then we have like kind of like the NFL. It feels like they wait until the last game, and then everything goes uh, goes downhill. But uh, of course, I don't think the White Sox were expecting to be in this position. Obviously fourth worst team in the league this year, record wise uh, right there with Colorado for the third worst record in the league. And I mean, we're talking Oakland and Kansas city are the only teams that are like truly worse than them. I mean, I hope so because those teams are, are not even trying to win. There's not even an effort being made to win uh, out of those teams. So definitely a tough, a tough scene for the city of Chicago uh, in terms of White Sox baseball. Uh, obviously Cubs baseball has been a little bit better. We'll get to that in a second, uh, uh, but RK, we got to keep talking about the Seattle Mariners here because what they are doing not, not only after last week, uh, you know, we were excited to see them in the wild card last week, uh, kind of getting in the race. They have continued their unbelievable play uh, to a point where I don't even think you or or myself could have imagined them uh, one upping last week. But we had Julio Rodriguez obviously having uh, the most incredible like ten game stretch he's ever going to have in his career. Probably uh, the Mariners went five and one this week. Obviously, Julio five homers, sixteen RBIs, twenty eight hits, and forty seven ABs over his last last 10 games. Uh, So I think you could call that pretty much uh, impossible to get him out at this point. And the Mariners have taken over the division, RK. The, The Mariners are in the sole possession of the lead of the AOS.
1: Yeah, that's insane. I mean, I certainly didn't expect that, uh, you know, before the season started, we kind of looked at the Mariners and we're like, okay, maybe this team could take a jump. You know, it didn't have necessarily the best first half, but I've just been red hot. I mean, you mentioned Julio Rodriguez, but the rest of that lineup's kind of come alive too. Teoscar Hernandez, who really struggled early on has been really good lately. Eugenio Suarez had his ups and downs, uh, at the start of the year, he's now back and, and playing really good baseball for him. And the pitching staff, uh, on the other side has been really good guys like Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert have been really consistent this year. And, uh, you know, proving to be you know top quality guys at the top of a rotation, but the fact that they're doing it in a division with the Astros and the Rangers, I mean, I did not see that coming. You know, I figured they would you know be uh, in that wild card race, and you're looking at some of those other teams in the AL East, and I would probably look at them at a team like Boston, who's on the outside looking in right now. But uh, the Mariners have just been so so red hot this month uh, here in August that you know now you're looking at them as like, wow, maybe this team uh, could make a little bit deeper of a run in the American League than you know maybe we were giving them credit for a couple weeks. Of-
0: ago yeah i mean we literally broke down the contenders in the league and we named both texas and houston in that category now we've seen seattle uh completely take over and it's not like i mean texas has played Played pretty poorly to allow Seattle to catch up. No lie there, but it feels like Houston is a team that we need to look at in this situation because they don't ever really seem to skid. Like it's a team that's very rock solid. They're gonna have more streaks and they're gonna have uh, you know, the, these down. They're gonna lose a series or two every once in a while, but it's never gonna be anything super serious. And man, it's just been it's been really really spectacular to watch the Seattle Mariners do this again. After I mean, last year we were kind of talking about them, uh, not as good of a position. Let's be honest, but we were talking about them being a hot team late in the year, making the playoffs. It's really- Really nice to have the Mariners as a competitive franchise every year, and it's a really young team, too, so a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is. And I thought you brought up a good point uh, in, in mentioning Houston. And I feel like they have been so rock solid because for for a while, it feels like they had, you know, a five or six man rotation where you're like, wow, yeah, this guy could start a playoff game, no problem. And you can still look at the top of that rotation with Valdez and Verlander and say that. But I think the rest of that rotation has maybe faltered a little bit more than I expected. JP France, Hunter Brown, Christian Javier, you know, haven't had necessarily the best second half, so especially for the standard that we have grown to uh, get used to with the Astros. So could it just be, you know, a post deadline, a little slump, you know, a hot streak for the Mariners. And we get into the postseason in October and the Astros are right back on top. Certainly possible. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't have thought it would have got to this point, uh, to your point as well, Donnie, that we would see the Mariners in first place uh, in that loaded ALS. Yeah, it
0: is really interesting to note uh, just, you know, young pitchers we haven't really seen them slow down. Like we would have expected them to like, as you mentioned with the Mariners, like usually younger pitchers a- after the second half of the trade deadline, you kind of see some mediocre starts, but uh, Seattle just no, no problems there at all. Um, I guess from here, we got to shift over to another team. That's really kind of surprised me uh, more than I would have expected. And that's going to be, I- I'm going to start off with the Milwaukee Brewers here. We'll touch on the Arizona Diamondbacks in a little bit, but the Milwaukee Brewers are, are super, super hot uh, at, the perfect time obviously uh they just swept san diego uh they're i guess they beat the cubs yesterday i missed i missed yesterday's game but uh, nine straight now after sweeping texas uh two against minnesota sweeping the padres in three Uh, the milwaukee brewers a team that i don't think either you or i would really be scared of in a playoff series like like deep into the playoffs making it that far but i do think an early on uh, we've been talking about it. They are in a pretty good position, albeit they're going to be have a really tough matchup, whoever they end up playing in the playoffs. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, they're doing what they have to do. They just pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch, get some timely hitting, bang, nine straight, taking co- total control over the division too, which is a little bit crazy.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, You know, I think you look at the top end of that rotation, you go Peralta, Burns, Woodruff, and I wouldn't say it's the absolute best in Major League Baseball, but that's a pretty damn good one, two, three. That's obviously what's given them uh, a good amount of boost, you know, in this race. But, um, you know, the fact that they've been so good at this point, I didn't see them, you know, really kind of separating themselves from the rest of the pack in that NL Central, which um, is a lot of mediocre ball clubs uh, in itself. But um, the Brewers, I mean, they've been really good. Um, You know, they've been a team that has had some playoff experience and they have a mix of some young batters uh, in that lineup too um, that have been, you know, pretty solid for him. Like William Contreras, for example, has been a really, really, you know, bright spot um, in kind of that everyday role that he wasn't able to get in Atlanta. Um, you know, and now hitting near the top of that lineup in Milwaukee every day. And, and he's been really productive for him uh, over this recent stretch. So um, I think there are some things you like with the Brewers. I, I think that it still kind of holds true that you're still looking at a national league where you see Atlanta and Los Angeles, and then it's kind of still the rest of the pack. I think that Milwaukee, and Philadelphia are, are, you know, probably the next two teams you look at there um, in terms of, you know, maybe we get a surprise uh, NL winner if it it were one of those two teams, um, you know, and I say surprise, obviously the Phillies won it last year, but um, if it weren't one of those two big dogs, you know, the Brewers, I still think that they have a chance um, to go on that run because they have, you know, three really good pitchers. And although the lineup isn't great, I feel like they've been, you know, proving they've been better as of late uh, and, you know, still a ways to go, obviously before October, but um, it's definitely encouraging. Um, to see the Brewers you know start to hit a little bit because we know they can pitch
0: yeah it is just encouraging in general to have a team that has uh, get some separation from the 500 mark in the NL Central it did seem like a, a, at some point through large portions of the season there was a there were a, there were some issues there we were we were sitting between five six seven games in between 500 where you had uh, Milwaukee and Cincinnati and the Cubs all in that range uh, and, and now you know I guess Milwaukee's taken off a little bit. Uh, I did, however, want to touch on the NL wildcard, which I guess Arizona has been the team we need to talk about. But the Cubs have also played some pretty good ball recently. Uh, we have Philadelphia still very, very uh, comfortably at the top. I think that they have pretty much clinched wildcard one. I don't think there's much uh, question there the way they've played. Uh, but the Cubs, 7-3 and three in their last 10, uh, in a very, very tough series against the Milwaukee Brewers right now. But, you know, beating the teams they have to beat beating Pittsburgh, beating Detroit, can't really complain about winning games. And then you have Arizona, who's coming off a, a very, very large series victory against Cincinnati, uh, which was something that I watched a lot over the weekend, just as somebody who's really focused on social media. Uh, you don't get like random inner division wild card series, like important ones. It feels like a lot of baseball at this point is kind of just like useless, uh, really, really good team. against a really, really bad team. But uh, Arizona, Cincinnati, Arizona cleans up. Cincinnati falls uh, a little bit in the race, a little bit. Uh, I guess expected, I would say, but uh, we do have the Cubs playing good ball, Arizona playing good ball, San Francisco right behind Cincinnati there. Uh, How are you feeling about the Cubs right now in terms of their chances to make the playoffs? It doesn't seem like there's much question that they can win games consistently, which I I was something that both you and I were a little bit concerned about at the deadline. They've kind of maybe shut us up a little bit. They've been more consistent than I would have anticipated, but uh, moving forward, are you feeling good about the
1: Cubs? Yeah. I mean, they can hit, I feel like they're in a situation where in a one game, you know, situation uh, you know, they have the luxury of throwing out Justin Steele. Who's been, you know, by far their most consistent pitcher this year, Marcus Stroman hasn't pitched at all this month. He's been dealing with an injury. So um, the rest of that rotation is looking really, really slim, but if they are finding themselves in a spot where, you know, you're playing a one game do or die scenario, you know, we know they can hit and they've got one arm in Justin Steele that, you know, maybe could get it done for them. I don't really, you know, take them still too seriously just because I don't think that rotation is Deep at all, um, you know. You're, you're probably looking at something like uh, Kyle Hendricks and Jamison Tyone, you know, getting starts in a you know potential playoff series. It's it's not really what you want, even though their lineup has been really good. So I still have my reservations. It's nice to see they've still been playing, you know, consistent enough ball in in what's a relatively weak National League Wild Card race right now. So the fact that they've been able to hang on, you know, riding some of those hot hitters, um, you know, guys like Cody Bellinger, Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson have been you know really really good and consistent for them really throughout the season. So um, um it, it's nice to see that at least they're playing you know better than some other teams but uh i just kind of have that cautious optimism just given the fact that i don't think their rotation is deep at all uh, outside of Justin Steele
0: yeah definitely fair enough i mean you got to be you gotta be feeling for Boston Red Sox fans because they have a record that would put them right in the thick of things in the NL wild card yet in the AL wild card they're six out and it's not getting any better there uh we did also outside of just standings dude we had some really interesting um news today that i, I didn't really like I didn't think much of, but it's it's really interesting to me. The Angels decided to waive pretty much everybody. We've got Lucas Gilio, Matt Moore, Reynaldo Lopez, Hunter Renfro, and Riel Uh, We have to mention again, they traded legitimate prospects to get these guys. Like we've they've given up uh, some of the better players in their system. They've really kind of uh, mortgaged their future even further this year to to put themselves in a really really bad situation now, uh, where it does look like. Uh, I guess we have to mention too this week Shohei Otani got hurt will not be pitching anymore this year uh, but just in general like the angels are punting on the season as they should have probably done at the trade deadline yeah. uh, now now we're what four weeks later and they've waived every veteran they just picked up like how insanely stupid like how how incredible is this season for the angels
1: it just feels like they were digging a hole and then they were at the trade deadline and dug 50 feet deeper and then now they can't get out and they're surprised and they bit the bullet and waved all these guys I mean like it, it just is unbelievable like how, how much of a laughing stock it feels like the Angels were after they already were such a laughing for having two of the best players in the game and couldn't even qualify for the playoffs then they get aggressive and buy and get worse somehow they've been losing more games and they were winning even before the trade deadline so uh, I mean it, we knew it was dumb uh, in the moment and now it's just continues to look even worse so uh, I mean this is just a situation where uh, you know a team couldn't understand the reality of the situation they tried to you know pull out all the stops just to try to miraculously you know convey Shohei Otani that the Angels are the right spot and he maybe have a chance to win there Uh, obviously that hasn't been the case so uh, I mean just a disastrous season for the Angels uh, how things have unfolded and realistically this is the type of season that sets you back uh, you know three four five years uh, when you shell out a couple prospects and don't get anything out of it uh in terms of a playoff game i mean they're 11 and a half games out of the wild card at this point it's unbelievable so um yeah things are have not gone the way of the angels and uh you know they they may have gotten uh, a better situation if they had traded away otani and gotten all these prospects back and uh you know bit the bullet that way but uh, here they are just a month later and, uh, you know, definitely an ugly situation for them. Uh, you know, having waved some of those guys that they just got out, um, you know, from the White Sox and, and Giolito uh, and Reynaldo Lopez in specific.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, too. They're playing Hunter Renfro, Randall Gritchick tonight. Uh, as we speak, Randall Gritchick literally hit a home run as I was introing that uh, little news bulletin. So <laughs> uh, really interesting that you, you waved players. They're just they're sitting out there. They're they're tonight is their one game tryout for anybody out yeah. there that sees like you know obviously not ideal there we also saw the yankees uh decided to waive harrison bader after trading for uh for him last year they traded jordan montgomery for him even up what a horrible horrible decision that was uh really really bad on top of uh today they also cut josh donaldson which surprise of nobody at this point just a, a really really bad match there josh donaldson's pretty cooked but uh let's talk about the harrison bader trade real quick just like Obviously, they didn't do anything Angels bad. We're okay with them not making crazy moves at the deadline because the team really just wasn't that good, and we've established it. But, man, you look back at that Jordan Montgomery deal and also what Jordan Montgomery was able to fetch this year at the trade deadline, and you kind of said they're like, oh, Yankees just – they're Yankeeing and again, it's just bad, bad management once more.
1: Yeah, definitely uh, not ideal for, for Brian Cashman, uh, and, and especially combined with the fact that this happened in conjunction with Josh Donaldson, which we felt in the moment, we're like, man, what are you what are you doing? Like, maybe this guy has a little bit of pop in his bat still, but, um, you know, just does not seem to kind of get it done on a consistent basis uh, as compared to a guy like Gio Rochella, who obviously provides you strong defensive ability uh, and has been better at the plate as well. So, um, yeah, just tough decisions for the Yankees. I, I don't think Aaron Boone's going to survive this, and it may not even be entirely all on him because I think a lot of it does fall on Cashman and not getting uh, you know much depth out of that lineup at all um you know obviously the the pitching staff has dealt with a lot of injuries and that's too bad but uh you know when you kind of piece things together trade away montgomery go after you know some of uh, these guys in bader and uh, it doesn't work out at all i mean uh just kind of a tough situation for the yankees they're not developing their own talent too well at this point and even some of the guys they're going out and, and looking to acquire uh haven't panned out as much as they hoped obviously anthony rizzo is, is another name that you know they've gone out and traded for in the past and it uh, just hasn't had the season that he hoped for and, and has dealt with injuries so um, just kind of a a strange situation right now for the Yankees maybe they need to inject some new blood into that organization Um, you know whether it's Boone whether it's Cashman you know I I think this is a um, really really bad season for the Yankees where I think we may see uh, more changes uh, than we were you know kind of initially expecting for a team that we thought would probably be in the playoffs
0: yeah, it's crazy for our Yankees fans friends, the fact that Brian Cashman has been there their entire lives, and Brian Cashman has been running the show essentially their entire lives. Like he he's yeah. been the figurehead of everything, so um we could see some change there. It does I would guess that Booney is done. There's not really any question at I this point. So Unfortunate. Maybe <laughs> like uh, not even his fault. I mean we're looking at look at the lineup tonight. Stanton's their four hitter hitting two oh three on the season has been really, really bad. Uh, Volpe's your five, Bader at six after he just got waived today. Uh, Everson Pearl is hitting one hundred seven he's been up. Really not good. Uh, Higashioka at 8, and then Oswald Peraza at 9, hitting a robust 147. I mean, you're not really giving him much. No. He what's he working with here? Really, it's it's not a whole lot. I uh, gotta feel bad for Booney there. Uh, but that is our MLB coverage for the week. It should be really really interesting here on out. It does look like we have got some nice races. Maybe the addition of the extra wild card spot is going to do some some wonders in terms of creating some excitement in the year. Uh, so that will be good. We did have some football news. Just cut day. Uh, unfortunately, a thousand players end up getting cut over the, a week or so, and it just is what it is in the NFL. Obviously, you start at ninety. I think you you start at ninety down. On the 53 so uh you know obviously a, a big cut there but we did see uh some Semi notable names, uh, waved or well will cut today. Uh, Robbie Anderson going by Robbie chosen Anderson, really just a, a, a wonderful name uh, on Miami was cut. Uh, the Patriots cut both backup quarterbacks, Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham after Malik Cunningham had a lot of love through the preseason as kind of a, a gadget, uh, interesting player. Um, uh, the saints let go of Bradley Roby, Doug Peterson cut his own son, Josh, which is just crazy to happen. Uh, I think expected, but you know, still a little bit surprising. Um, Anything out of cut day that did anything for you? Obviously, there's always a couple interesting names and players get traded before they get cut, so that's also an interesting part of it. But uh, anything come out of today that was exciting for you?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think the Jonathan Taylor news is a little bit noteworthy, but it's hard to be surprised about things that are happening to running backs on the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, that's just combination screams. I don't know what the hell's going on either, really, so uh, I'm not terribly shocked on that. I think I was a little bit surprised the fact that New England cut the other quarterbacks on their roster not named Mac Jones so they only have one quarterback left on their roster like at, at what point do we need to like say Bill Belichick like man like what like I get it you are the absolute goat but like the last couple of years have just not been going good like what what are we doing like you're only keeping one quarterback like I just don't under like was it, like I, I just can't explain it I don't know what is going on Uh, why you would not need a backup like did you watch the, the San Francisco 49ers last year like they needed like 12 like i don't understand uh that one at all that was probably the biggest surprise uh, of all the cuts for me uh the fact that new england was like yeah no we're good on a backup quarterback no we're we're all good with mac jones he's our guy we're turning injuries off this year and our and our real life madden franchise and mac jones is our guy i just thought that one was really weird that one stuck out to me
0: yeah, it's interesting to me. And somebody brought up the point that whoever they end up signing to be their backup quarterback off the streets will have eleven days to learn the playbook. So if yeah. Mac Jones is to get hurt, uh, in the, yeah, barring barring a, an injury and in awkward what, obviously, if Mac Jones is to get hurt, we've got like a Josh Dobbs situation you know, coming up randomly out of nowhere. And extra uh, it's it's probably to Carson me. Wentz. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, you know, shouts to Carson Wentz. Maybe he deserves to have a job at this point. <laughs> yeah, He does. H- holy cow! It's been a, it's been a really weird week. Obviously. You know, you really just never know what you're getting out of the quarterback cuts. Uh, And There's always some funny ones. Obviously, the Giants ended up letting go uh, of third string, you know, bums. Who cares, really? Uh, One thing that was interesting to me, however, uh, Chris Jones was placed on the reserve. Do not report. Did not report list. Uh, He's trying to get a pay raise. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, He said this week that he's willing to sit out until week eight. Uh, I guess that's just the the deadline for him in terms of money making and such, probably for um, you would assume that there's some performance bonuses involved, uh, among other things. But uh, an interesting thought, because we have seen some other salary discrepancies get ironed out the last couple weeks. Chris Jones seems like a, a, a incredibly valuable player to a Chiefs team that will really falter, maybe without having him there. Uh, is it interesting to you at all? A little bit curious that they've let it actually go to the point where he's probably not going to play?
1: Yeah, it it is for sure. Obviously Chris Jones is a, is a top caliber player. So, um, you know, he holds, uh, you know, some leverage in this situation for sure. He understands that. So, um, you know, I guess, you know, he's obviously holding out for, for more money that he feels he has deserved, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's something to follow for sure. You know, you always wonder, is that something that'll be a distraction? I feel like I, with the Kansas City Chiefs, I feel like and, and Andy Reid, you, you kind of give him a little maybe a little bit of a pass. Like, alright, he'll be out there in the playoffs and uh, they'll be all smiling when he's got, you know, three sacks in a divisional playoff game or something like that. So I, I don't try to read too into it, but it is definitely interesting. You know, some of these long extended holdouts can, um, you know, I feel like mostly take shape in the media and they're trying to, you know, push narratives. Oh, this is why you guys are losing. This is a distraction, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I I think when it's all said and done, you know, he, he knows he's a big player on the chiefs and, and they'd obviously want him back too. So, um, you know, I, I feel like this isn't necessarily something too, too shocking to me, Um, you know, star player holding out, but um, definitely an interesting storyline out of uh, the past week, no doubt.
0: Absolutely. I think that'll cover our NFL news. We will have some real football to talk about very, very soon here, RK. We're getting there. Uh, We did also have a really interesting weekend in college football. Maybe not interesting for the reasons that um, anybody's looking for, or maybe interesting for the reasons you expect. Obviously got to watch Caleb Williams out there. Uh, Caleb Williams before even playing in this game said, you know, I could theoretically just go back to college next year if the wrong team gets number one, which is, Hey, power to you. Respect. If you don't want to be an Arizona Cardinal, I wouldn't want to be an Arizona Cardinal. It's, it's, you saw what Kyler Murray what happened with Kyler Murray, so I uh, definitely respect there. But we did see USC uh, absolutely dominate uh, San Jose. St- I mean, like this is pretty much what you're expecting. I'm not telling you anything interesting if you're listening here. Uh, but Caleb Williams had a really good game. Uh, we did see some interesting performances out of some uh, young players. They've got a bunch of freshmen and sophomore uh, wide receivers, which is interesting. They're going to be going with a very very young receiver core. Uh, but first, I guess I just wanted like. Is Caleb Williams even like, is he wrong for saying he won't go necessarily depending on who gets number
1: one? i mean hey what's he got to lose in saying that honestly he's in a in a world right now where he's able to make nil money at usc and play quarterback and be the man on campus in, in southern california like it's not necessarily the worst life uh you know compared to getting drafted to a trash nfl team and having all these high sky expectations and expecting to be the guy right away like sure you you have that leverage uh you could you know opt to, to come back you know when it's all said and done probably goes to the nfl let's you know he's just uh, obviously you know playing a card and It's like oh well i could i could so um he, he's not wrong but um, I think when it's all said and done you know he understands that he can still make more money in the NFL uh, and and likely be the first overall pick you know you're certainly risking a lot obviously if you come back and you get injured um, you know that obviously you know sets you up for a lot less than a potential contract situation so still a lot of incentive for Williams to go pro obviously Um, but yeah if if you're Caleb Williams that spot you got nothing to lose in saying that Yeah,
0: I definitely agree there. Obviously, we saw Caleb Williams' four TDs over the weekend against San Jose State. Uh, We also saw another very highly touted quarterback, uh, Sam Hartman, at Notre Dame, diced up the Navy defense. Navy offense diced up themselves. Uh, not throwing the ball three for six or 43 yards uh, passing uh, at one point they had one pass completed for four yards uh, it was a really really exciting attack from them exactly what you would expect out of a navy uh, navy offense they handed the ball off 40 times they didn't get anywhere nobody had over 38 yards that was a real doozy for them but uh, Notre Dame could Notre Dame theoretically be a, a threat if they have a legitimate quarterback in Sam Harton I mean at RK thoughts here maybe Notre Dame's going to be good this year
1: I mean, uh, Notre Dame good is different than playoff good. Uh, unfortunately, in in this point in time, it's very true. Obviously, getting a veteran quarterback and Hartman helps out. You know, you've seen a lot. Um, you know, can can help him out. They've gone that transfer route uh, in the past at quarterback. Um, You know, Hartman may be among the better that they've gotten in the transfer portal, but nevertheless, I still find it hard to believe that, you know, they could take down some of the SEC's, you know, biggest and brightest squads. So uh, I don't necessarily view them as this, you know, massive threat or anything like that, but they're ND good. They're good enough to be ranked. They'll probably hang around. They'll, they'll be in the hunt, uh, maybe lose a game or two. Um, But, you know, I don't necessarily think that, you know, they're coming in and, and beating everybody down with Sam Hartman at quarterback.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting too with Notre Dame because they kind of just pick and choose who they want to schedule. They've got some interesting yeah. games this year. They play Ohio State, they play USC, they get Clemson later in the year too in Clemson. So, uh could be an interesting little little run there. They also play some of the ACC schools. Um, you know, never a guaranteed victory against the NC States and the pits of the world. So, it right. uh, could be interesting to see that. Uh I it's going to be fascinating to see how they schedule once everybody starts moving around conferences, once we get to the point where the ACC is no longer existing. like It's going to be fascinating to see what happens in Notre Dame, obviously. Um, college football, week one. Before we go on, are you excited about Iowa's game this week against Utah State? Are, are you getting ready?
1: Yeah, I uh I'm excited for sure. Uh I'm excited to see what uh what Cade McNamara can, can cook up for the Hawkeye offense uh this year and the defense as well. I definitely think they got some fun guys in that defensive backfield. Uh Cooper Dejean uh in particular, had a lot of pick sixes last year. Um Xavier Nwampo as well, really good safety. So uh I'm I'm excited for some traditional Iowa football. Uh, you know, run the ball, uh play some good defense, you know, hard nose. You kind of know what you're gonna get uh every Saturday with the Hawkeyes. So uh I'm definitely excited. Obviously college football Saturdays are are some of the best days uh, in the year on the sports calendar. So uh, it's nice that week zero is always kind of that little sneak preview of, of what's to come. So I like that they do that uh, so we can kind of get our juices flowing before uh, everybody starts getting going uh, this upcoming weekend.
0: Absolutely. And just one thing that's not on the docket here on our Roth Pod. Google Doc, uh, a question: Is Miami of Ohio the real Miami, or is Miami, Florida, the real Miami? Because we we've had some we've had some conflicting reports this week. I- I'm sure you've heard. So, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, well, I've uh, I've been on campus at Miami, Ohio. I have not been on campus in Miami, Florida, but I can still say that Miami, Florida, is the real Miami.
0: Okay, I was I was curious where that was going. I thought there was potential for a disaster there because RK has been one place and not the other. But I, I appreciate that. Obviously, uh, I'm really hoping that Miami goes out and beats them by like 30 or 40 points because it's just a stupid thing to say out loud. Um, You know, it's week one, you don't need to give the other team you're playing any anything. Come on, we got we got to move past that Miami, Ohio. Like you shouldn't even exist if you're, if you live in Ohio, realistically, it's just like, you've been Ohio. Okay. What's in Ohio?
1: What's there? No, yeah. Miami, Ohio is in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of similar to Colgate. Honestly, you got to drive back roads for like 30 minutes off of the interstate just to get there. And then you're like, where the hell am I? Like, what is going on? Like, where is civilization? I'm not finding it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I got a nice hockey rink, but I I can't say much more about uh, Oxford, Ohio at this point.
0: Good old Oxford. RK, hockey, women's hockey knew something we don't really have very much of, obviously. Uh, We talked a little bit about the leagues having um, what was ending up as a historic decision to go with one unified professional women's hockey league they announced where the six teams are going to be today. Uh, Locations in Boston, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, the New York City area, which could be anywhere in the tri-state area. Apparently, there's like 17 different arenas they're looking at. So uh, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, all options. And then Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa. Uh, Stan Kasten, current president of the Dodgers on the PWHL board, says that they are considering playing games in uh, non-original six cities. So maybe like Tournament type idea in a specific arena across anywhere across America at this point uh, or into Canada. Uh, First off for you as somebody who is touched in and very, very in tune with women's hockey in general. um, Thoughts on this announcement? Anything exciting came out of this uh, the last couple days for you?
1: Yeah, there's definitely valid reasons for optimism with this league uh, compared to some of the other, you know, iterations of a professional women's hockey league, most recently the PHF. Uh, I I think that the fact that Stan Kasten is the guy backing it, you know, president of the LA Dodgers, obviously he's got deep pockets and, um, you know, is going to have his hand in in each one of these franchises. So uh, he understands that he's going to eat a lot of money. That's what you kind of get in in women's uh, sports in general, if we're really being honest, you know, you're not necessarily looking at them as, as major revenue generators right off the hop so understanding that you know this legal you know go through its fair amount of struggle um, but i think like i said there there's still reason to be optimistic i think that the markets they pick, um you know it splits it up you know it's it's kind of concentrated where a lot of the top talent ends up playing because uh you know it, it, it you know we may not necessarily see it at this point depending on you know how the cba and, and everything actually shakes out but um you know for a long time you know these players needed other jobs as well so they're trying to you know live at home hang out with their families work their real jobs and it's like oh yeah by the way i play hockey on the side kind of thing so uh, hopefully this league kind of fixes that in a little bit Uh, i know that they are basically starting off by saying we can sign three players kind of go out each team you know you basically pick your captains uh go ahead and sign them and then they'll do a draft where they pick the next 15 players uh on their roster um so basically you kind of fill out you know 18 players that's most of your team you know you'll end up signing a couple scratches and, and getting some players in for training camp and things of that nature but uh once we end up getting some of those early signings and the women's hockey draft um that'll obviously you know play a big role in in how these teams kind of shake out and and things of that nature so uh like i said there's reason to be optimistic there's also reasons that you know it could very easily fail i hate to say it but uh it it certainly could but um like i said there's definitely a lot of valid reasons for why it could very much work seemed like there was some strong leadership i know brian burke is one name that's really backing uh the players association and this side of it a guy who's had you know so much experience in the game of hockey um so you know hopefully that those will all be positive contributing factors uh before they end up dropping the puck here uh in january. So still a lot of dominoes to fall. Um but it was definitely uh some some positive news and, and some reason for optimism with the uh new women's hockey league.
0: Yeah it was interesting. I just wanted to touch on one thing that I did uh I did see Stan Casson say about the money thing. He said pretty much we don't we don't care. We know we're gonna sink a lot of money into this. It's right. a long-term building and, and you really you appreciate that out of a guy like Stan Castle who has the backing has the he he's telling you I'm gonna try my best to make this a viable living experience for all of these uh, very, very highly touted, very, very talented athletes. You got to respect it. Yeah. You got to respect it. I mean, it's like, it's obviously been hard the last couple of years. It's been really like dysfunctional too uh, clearly. So uh, having this type of of leadership, you can't really argue with having a guy like Stan Casson, obviously, like they've got people there that they could potentially make this into something very realistic, which, you know, If you want to spend the money, you want to build there, that opportunity, the possibilities seem pretty much endless.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I think the big decision, obviously going with six teams, you know, there are enough, you know, quality players where they could certainly fill out rosters that are bigger. And hopefully in the next few years, we will get some more expansion. But at the same time, I still do think it was at some point important to, you know, limit it a little bit. You want to make sure it's best on best. You want to make sure that the best players are getting at it. It's very high quality hockey. Uh, You want to make sure that you're selling the product if you're playing at the highest level of women's pro hockey. So I think that's also kind of the other side of it. Yeah, you know, a lot of people got screwed over by this you know, people that signed PHF contracts completely got voided, you know, and, uh, you know, they're still waiting for for a lot of those payouts too. So, um, you know, there's a lot of unfortunate news behind the scenes, but um, like you said, I think that the leadership has, you know, kind of the long-term vision in mind and uh, hopefully these six teams, um, you know, can, you know, put on display how exciting, you know, professional women's hockey can be, Um, such a highly skilled game. And, um, you know, that's really the only difference is kind of the physicality between that and the men's side, but I love watching skilled hockey. So uh, professional women's hockey it should be a blast to watch. Hopefully it's very readily available and um, like I said still a lot of dominoes to fall but um, definitely very intrigued and, and certainly optimistic for how this can turn out uh, here in the next couple months.
0: Yeah definitely it'll be nice to see. Uh, I'm assuming that streaming and, and other uh, availability aspects will be very very important to them because if, if you ever watched games in the last leagues the cameras were being shot uh, very very poor angles or yeah. somebody standing there were multiple games that I tuned into at the end of last year when they were in the playoff uh, and I watched the uh, uh, a lot of the games in the year where it just felt like it, like more of like a high school hockey game than anything, which is crazy to me because there was serious money being pumped into that project. So uh, you have to think hopefully moving forward, uh, they get away from that. Good production is everything for, for the viewer experience. So uh, hoping that is what we get. Uh, we will move here to our questions. Eric has given us quite a few different questions to think about. Uh, he wants to talk about fantasy football first. He has a keeper league where he has decided to keep Jalen Hurts for a third rounder. So that means that he will have his first and second rounder available. Uh, RK, any advice for the direction that he should go in in the first and second round? I'm thinking probably running back wide receiver has to be a part of that there.
1: Yeah, usually I'm i uh, I'm team and best heavy in running backs. Cause they're hard to get them later, either in the draft, later in the season, later in free agency, it's harder to get running backs than uh wide receivers is um, just kind of a general rule of thumb. I think Bijan Robinson is kind of a name that um, I think could be really good. We've seen rookie running backs really kind of pop off. And uh, Robinson is obviously incredibly skilled and, and obviously in an offense with Arthur Smith, where he's going to get fed the ball uh, quite a bit. So I like Bijan Robinson in, in round one, if he's available for you um, as kind of one of those early targets and then um, if you want to double dip in running back, I think that's definitely smart. You know, like I said, it's harder to find that than receiver, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of quality receivers that you could get um, kind of in that round two spot. So um, that's usually kind of my overall philosophy as it relates to kind of you know early round drafting as it relates to skill players.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with RK there. I would say RB, RB, one two or RB wide receiver, depending on who's there. Uh, you definitely have to take a running back in the first round. I don't care who who's available you have to figure that out because you can't really let the, the they'll hate yourself later <laughs> you will you will be you will be so so depressed if you go into the go into your first week and you've got like jk dobbins and and damian pierce as your one-two combo i'm not saying anything's wrong with jk dobbins or damian pierce but man you know Going a a, to need a yeah. gonna need a, high level running back in there uh, at some point. Uh, he wants us to give some value options for running backs to draft in rounds five to seven. So I guess, uh, RK, let's just be honest here. These are probably your third running back, or at least it should be your third running back if you're going rounds five to seven. Uh, anybody exciting for you in the 55 to 75, 80 range?
1: Yeah, I think actually uh, maybe one potential sleeper name I'll throw out there is Khalil Herbert for the uh, Chicago Bears. Obviously, they moved on from David Montgomery. We know the Bears like to run the ball. Obviously, a lot of that is Justin Fields. But I do think we could see some decent uh, you know production out of Khalil Herbert, who uh, has shown some flashes. He's dealt with some injuries, but I feel like he's still kind of an explosive running back that uh, maybe is still kind of scratching the surface. So maybe around a little bit deeper in some drafts than, uh, than his value may be at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good one. He was one of the two that I listed around this range. I, myself, last year I had David Montgomery – did pretty well can't really argue with that I feel like having David Montgomery as your three he should be there around six I don't think you'd have much of a problem getting a David Montgomery in around six especially seeing how Detroit used their running backs last year maybe you're not super confident in how that that happens but David Montgomery was given uh, he's been given the reins you would assume should have some really nice matchups too uh, in Detroit obviously the teams that he's playing will not be heavy run stop teams for the most part uh, in the division not gonna not gonna have much much problem getting some yardage and scoring there so uh, I'm really really big on David Montgomery. he gets a lot of hate in fantasy I don't really necessarily understand it maybe it was the team before maybe it's just him as a running back but I I felt like David Montgomery was as consistent of like an RB3 last year as possible when he was healthy Uh, so I would definitely be big on him Uh, he's also looking for fantasy sleepers at each position you gave one at running back I guess we both gave one at running back but we'll touch on quarterback wide receiver starting off with the QB any sleepers I'm gonna say anybody outside of the top five quarterbacks who we think in
1: yeah, uh, you know, quarterback is always an interesting one. I feel like I'm usually on the side of you know wait a little bit, maybe get a guy with a little bit of mobility, um, you know, that can help you out in terms of some rushing, you know, production. And you know, one name that actually comes to mind for me is Daniel Jones. And I think that the Giants did a better job at surrounding him with a little bit more weapons. I do like Darren Waller this year. I like that they got Jalen Hyatt, the rookie out of Tennessee, uh, and the offensive line is uh, a little bit better as well. You expect Evan Neal to take a little bit of a jump. We know Andrew Thomas just got paid. Some strong tackles and. Like I said, Daniel Jones offers you a little bit of rushing ability too. We know they got Saquon Barkley, of course, but you will see Daniel Jones get some rushing touchdowns. So um, for as boring as Daniel Jones may be to watch sometimes, I think he could provide you with some fantasy upside.
0: Yeah, I really like that, and I was digging even deeper with the same thought process, and I'm going with Kenny Pickett. Obviously, I think Daniel Jones is probably going to be a little bit safer of an option, but I think if you're picking Kenny Pickett as a quarterback too late in the draft, somebody who could potentially give you better numbers than say where he's going, uh, I think you're going to get him as like a quarterback, or maybe even like an undrafted in some leagues depending on how deep you are. Uh, I think Kenny Pickett has the opportunity to be very successful. He's got the weapons. Um, I'm not going to say that Kenny Pickett is the greatest pass in the world, but he has some mobility too. Uh, We'll get you some some running yards uh, might score a couple times on the ground this year uh, i'm really big on that thought process i really like the idea of just getting somebody that even if they can't pass the ball. i mean like rk daniel jones isn't gonna he's not gonna he's not gonna he's not, not scaring anybody through in through the air probably but uh, it is nice to have that little running attack obviously justin fields won like 20 percent of leagues last year if you picked up justin fields and you had him on your team you did super successful so i think like we're kind of thinking the same mold their quarterback in terms of the mobile guy um he's also asking for a wide receiver. Do you have a wide receiver sleeper that you're interested in?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll actually share two uh, guys. Uh, surprise, this guy actually is rated lower on uh, on ESPN's board than he is. But Michael Gallup, I feel like he's been really consistent for the Cowboys. Uh, always seems to have a good connection with Dak. You know, re- typically is very good in the red zone as well. Um, really good receiver at, you know, going up and high pointing the ball and, and coming down with touchdowns. So I like Gallup. And then also shout out Darnell Mooney. I don't think I was going to be hyping up the Bears offense coming into this podcast. But, uh, I mean, Darnell Mooney, I think, has been pretty good, has a good connection with Justin Fields, um, you know, that receiver core was abysmal last year but uh, Mooney is probably one of the few bright spots you could point to on that Bears team and um, the fact that he's rated as low as he is on ESPN's board is certainly a little bit surprising to me so uh, maybe an opportunity to buy low on an offense that some people are like the Bears I'm not touching that but I do like Darnell Mooney's game and I think he can be a contributor.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that. Obviously, Darnell Mooney is going to last until round 12, round 13 for a lot of people. Uh, I dug even deeper into the bag, and I'm going with Adam Thielen as somebody who may go undrafted, eh, which is crazy to think about because Adam Thielen was about as consistent as anybody the last couple years, it felt like. Uh, And also in Carolina, I mean, like, there's a lot of options for somebody to take over. I'm not going to say Adam Thielen is going to be the number one uh, 100% target getter or anything like that but there's definitely a possibility for him to get a decent amount of targets you have a veteran receiver with a young quarterback who's going to need his like security safety blanket Um, they've got a couple decent receivers but uh, Adam Thielen definitely the most veteran of the group and I I have I've never bet against Adam Thielen in fantasy it feels like having a consistent uh, blanket short six six catches a game no argument there
1: yeah I like that shout a lot All
0: right. We have a couple more questions from Eric, starting off his last football question. Who is the most exciting rookie quarterback for you to watch this upcoming year? Uh, RK, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, preseason Twitter would tell you that Aiden O'Connell, fellow 2017 Stevenson High School graduate, would probably be that guy. But I'm not quite there. I'm not a huge buyer into you know preseason success turning into dominant NFL career. That's just me. So I'm gonna go with the guy who was actually picked first overall in the draft, and that's Bryce Young. I mean, let's just not overthink this any further. Uh, I think Carolina could be an interesting team to watch. You mentioned Thielen, but um, I think that you know they have an interesting standpoint, and uh, I like Bryce Young a lot. I love watching him at Alabama, uh, and I think that. Is- it's important to continue to remember that the teams that Bryce Young had at Alabama were not as, you know, flourishing with skill talent uh, as Alabama's had in the past. Like Bryce Young actually had to kind of grind a little bit, um, which sounds funny considering he won a Heisman at Alabama. But I think he really did. So uh, I'm excited to see uh, how he does in the NFL. I think he has an ability to translate pretty quickly um, once he starts figuring some things out. And I think Carolina could be fun to watch. So uh, definitely not gonna gonna overthink it more than the guy who was picked first overall with Bryce Young.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fair. Uh, I was definitely going to pick Bryce Young too. There's not really even any question there. But I'll go with Anthony Richardson. I think it maybe it'll be interesting. Uh, I think that team is is a real part of my French clusterfuck. Um, no, Jonathan Taylor it's for four weeks. It's going to be really interesting to see like how they function offensively without the only like like super duper relevant player on the team. Obviously, he's got a couple decent receivers, and <laughs> Anthony Richardson has the talent there. But it could be maybe for for not the reasons that you want. But it could be it could be a lot of fun. Very exciting to watch in, in a negative space. Like maybe that's maybe that's too hard of me. Maybe I'm thinking Anthony Richardson could be better than, than I just I think that's going to be so much fun. The, the hard knocks uh, Indianapolis Colt edition would have been just would have been chef kiss, special, emotional, great stuff. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get that. But Anthony Richardson, are are, are you at, at all positive on the Anthony Richardson season seeing after what we had today?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's such an interesting one. Cause like, I still, you go back and you watch some of the stuff he did at Florida and you're like, this is insane. Like there's no way a human being should be able to do some of the stuff he does at quarterback. Like he really does have some Patrick Mahomes potential in him. Like, and I don't think he's going to live up to it. I really don't. But uh like, he's going to do some nuts stuff. He's going to put on some crazy highlights, you know, have some crazy runs. I think that'll probably be uh, even more so than, you know, checking a pass 60, 70 yards down the field. Like what we see with Anthony Richardson running the ball, if Shane Steichen can use him in a similar direction, Jalen Hurts mold where, um, you know, you're running some RPOs, some easy short passes, allow him to use his mobility, get out of the pocket a little bit. Um, you know, I I think that we could see some nice moments from Anthony Richardson, but he's just too raw for me at this point to really think that, you know, he, this guy's going to take over the NFL, win rookie of the year, anything like that. So um, I think that, you know, we'll see some flashes out of Richardson, but um, I'm, I'm certainly not thinking that, you know, he's going to, going to take the NFL by storm or anything like that.
0: All right, so I'm gonna call that like cautious optimism at the at best. I don't think we, not even really optimistic, to be honest. But there's there's a little bit of flash. Cautious in skepticism
1: is that. The other I
0: mean, I mean, I guess. I guess we'll take that. He's like, we're we're in the middle here, sort of. We're we're no. like fading away. We're fading into the interest. just like I wouldn't a little,
1: do it, but I could see it. That's kind of what I just.
0: I think it could be a lot of fun. I'm excited to watch the Indianapolis Colts play football this year. So that may just me. I might be the only person on the planet that's excited for that, but, uh, you know, we'll take it. Uh, He's got a couple other questions. What's a hobby that Eric should pick up this fall? You got anything on your mind?
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, you know, one that I had when I was younger that I've gotten into recently is going back to collecting baseball cards. I know Eric's a big football guy, so you can throw football cards in there. No problem. But it's always fun. You know, you just like hop over to Target or something. You you know, you look at the packs, you rip one open, you know, you're just kind of sitting down at the end of the day, you know, ripping a pack. You're like, oh, okay, this is kind of fun. So I don't know. I've kind of gotten back into my my niche of collecting some sports cards. I know Eric, uh, you know, is a a big sports guy as well. So uh, maybe that's my my hobby suggestion for Eric is, is getting back into collecting sports cards if he ever got into it in the first place but my guess is yes honestly
0: yeah i think most kids most diehard sports fans were the big card collectors age seven eight somewhere around there and football cards are big so i like that that's a very very good suggestion uh mine is a little bit more broad i'm considering buying a camera and picking up photography i think it could be semi-valuable in my career as somebody who works in marketing social media stuff like that um but i've been i've been really considering spending a grotesque amount of money on a, a a juiced up but not super juiced up camera i'm not gonna buy anything crazy don't worry i don't have that i don't have that in me but i've I've been really thinking about it um it's gonna be a it's gonna be a purchase that i'm gonna regret uh, immediately as i take it and then as i learn i'll be i'll be more excited but i I think it's something that's gonna happen um got my computer last year so we're thinking oh i'm thinking i'm gonna buy a camera i'm thinking i'm gonna go shoot some trees and stuff and get better that's my my suggestion eric you want to pick up photography with me? Be my guest. We can compare pictures and stuff. That'd be kind of cool. I
1: like it. I like it. I uh one time uh camera operator for a Colgate women's hockey practice. I did do that. Uh, this first time, like the the lighting was off, so all my pictures were trash. But I came back the second day and had some good pictures. So uh yeah, I I, I I'm for it, Donnie. I support you in your your photography endeavors, and if Eric so chooses to endeavor in that as well this fall.
0: Fantastic uh, Eric, if that does uh, end up something that you do, let me know I mean like I'd be down to I'd be down to share tips and tricks once I learn. I'm a big YouTube guy, so I'll be teaching myself uh, a couple more questions from Eric he's asking between you and IRK, who wins a UFC match? What are we thinking? what's your answer?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to make sure that all of our listeners know that I literally weigh like fucking 130 pounds, like soaking in in an entire pool of water. Like, okay, I am a, I am not a, a very muscular man, you know, and I am not afraid to admit that. And Eric mentioned that I have some boxing background. That's courtesy of our friend, Luke. And it's true. I have definitely had some times where I've thrown on the gloves and, you know, get a nice workout in, but like, I'm not fucking Muhammad Ali. Okay. I'm certainly not. I don't think I'm knocking Donnie out. I don't have that strength, that power. So I mean I don't think either one of us is knocking the other out. It's probably just we're both gonna end up being tired after like three minutes of just like throwing some haymakers and, and not conserving any energy. So uh, I I'm not thinking this is fucking pay per view TV here or anything, but uh, I I don't know. I mean I think it would be a pretty balanced fight. I'd probably take Donnie just slightly. You know he's got a little bit of size on me, like I said, but uh, yeah I'm not I'm not as confident in my box abilities as Eric is. Um, but I I mean I I appreciate the shout. It would be it would it would be entertaining to some, not to all.
0: Yeah, we have discussed RK's boxing ability on the podcast before. That is something that I am taking into account here. Uh, I think that I, if we were fighting a UFC match that somebody had to win by by either if it was knockout or submission, I think eventually that I would just tire you out and I just like lay on top of you and you wouldn't want to deal with 185 pounds of, of me just like elbowing you in the stomach and you'd probably give up. Uh, but I do think that there's definitely. Uh, I'm not lasting that long. The endurance of me in a ring, I don't I don't think I got it. I think you'd be much better off with the endurance. So uh if I don't get it done within the first like five minutes, it could be a really, really long night for me. It could be really, really bad.
1: Yeah, I, I really gotta bake on the endurance. And uh I I had over the summer visited our friend Luke, as I mentioned, the the guy who got us in got me into boxing, I guess. And uh we were sparring for a little bit, and man, i will tell you like three or four rounds, like I was laying on the on the uh on the mat, like I was so tired. I was like, my back is like tired exhausted like i was it was just not not a pretty scene and that was just sparring that wasn't actually really going at it so uh yeah i mean i don't know this would be it would be interesting to say to say the least but i mean i'm not i'm not telling you to bet the house on myself that's for sure
0: yeah, I, uh, I did a little bit of wrestling in high school. I had friends that wrestled, so I, I was in there every once in a while. And it's like 45 seconds in, I was cashed. Like, uh, if anybody's ever pushing me around to do anything, I don't I don't got that in me. So um, it would be a very close fight. Uh, obviously, he's got one last question, and he wants us to put into perspective truly how bad the Angels are for the listener. Uh, I'm going to take this one. I think this might be, like, the worst trade done in the history of Major League Baseball with how quickly it has gone South usually, I don't really remember like teams waving players like like uh, multiple players like a month after acquiring yeah. them at deadline. I don't remember that ever happening. I don't remember teams waving players that they acquired for assets ever during the same season like a month later. Yeah, that seems flabbergasting to me. But the fact that like Lucas Giolito is somebody that you should at least consider re-signing. It's a player that you should have at the very least had uh, taken them to the end of the season, see how he pitched, and then had a conversation in the office. Uh, even like I don't know, you could probably argue Hunter Renfro, Reno Gritch deserve a little bit of respect as guys that could get it get it done every day. I think this may be the worst trade done in the history of MLB. Um, and I think you don't even know how bad it's it is just yet because three, four, five years from now, when they have nobody to call up and the team stinks, and Mike Trout is still the only player on the roster that is even slightly relevant, I think we're really gonna notice just how bad it is. Like I think the twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven Angels, those teams have. the the potential to be like historically bad, say Otani leaves. I think that there's definitely a chance for that. So we don't even know how bad it is just yet.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think you put it in pretty good perspective, especially considering that they got waved. They waved the guys they just went out and got. Like, I feel like I remember the Padres had one deadline one year when they got like Craig Kimbrell and they went super heavy buying when they definitely should not have. And uh, that's even like similar, but it's still not as bad. Like these guys didn't even make it the whole rest of the season. They couldn't even make it a few weeks. Like, geez, like, uh, yeah, you, you said it well. I mean, this is... I don't know how bad we can put it in perspective because it's atrocious. It's so bad. Yeah, I just want to mention.
0: So, podcast one hundred and sixty one was our trade deadline breakdown. This is podcast one hundred and sixty five, and the Angels have. A, and yeah. We've we've gone four podcasts. We've it four Ugh. podcasts with the you know it, it's it's bad uh, historically bad the maybe the worst ever. I'm calling it. Uh, that's that's how bad it is. That's really just it is what it is. Uh, we have a couple more questions, RK. They're both from family members, so I'm gonna let you take this. What you got for me?
1: Yeah, this is a funny one. This comes from my uncle, uh, Jason Williams. He says, "Where is a more worthless place to get shot than at a stinking 16 games at a first place Sox game this season?" This is a real thing. I actually had to look it up after he sent me this text. I was like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" Like, yes. At a White Sox game recently, after the team is trash and no one is going to these games, two fans were literally shot inside the White Sox game. Now, there's a big caveat here, okay? Like, it was minor. It was like a little shrapnel. The the gun was, like, snuck into the stadium, which is still like, uh, hello? Like, what? Like, how did we allow a firearm in a baseball stadium on the south side of Chicago What are we doing? What is going on? White Sox. Like, hello. I mean, just like, it was like, not surprising. Like this team was such a dumpster fire. It's like, yeah, sure. Two fans got shot inside a stadium at a White Sox game. And you're like, yeah that perfectly aligns with how their season is going. Like, this is just insane. It was identified as a graze wound is what they said. But, I mean, Chase, like, come on. How? Like, this is like an all-time thing. Like, we can never forget about the time when the White Sox were so bad that two fans got shot inside a White Sox game when they suck. They they shouldn't even have gone to the game in the first place. That's your fault. That's that's like the running joke. It's like, oh, you go to a White Sox game, you're going to get shot. And it really happened now. It really actually happened. It's just like, come on. Come on, White Sox. Like, gosh.
0: Yeah, you know, obviously her sneaking the gun in through the folds of her belly fat um, is something that I don't think that I've ever really truly thought about, like grasped as a possibility to sneak a gun into into an arena. I didn't think that anybody could put a firearm into their roles and, and somehow avoid getting through. That's really just the most. Uh, a spectacular part of all of this and obviously our friend brett would be so thrilled by this news yeah, obviously a big a big fan of the of the phrase get shot obviously it's a he big, might be uh... a
1: white Sox fan instead of the mets <laughs> now because of this yeah you know obviously
0: they've, they've gained the fan instead of losing fans from this uh this yeah there's there's no more worthless place uh to get shot at than than in, in chicago while you going to a white Sox game rk i just i can't i can't i can't process it it's it's not it doesn't work for me this is something that i didn't think that we would ever have to discuss like this this is one of the craziest things i've ever seen in the history of baseball like ever yeah, in my this is uh
1: this is an old timer like we're always going to reference like people having bad days and it's like well at least you didn't get shot at a white Sox game <laughs> like that's going to be always the just baseline comparable like your day went better than these people's and that's a guarantee
0: Uh, definitely a a stunner. We have a Kira and Phil question, so I guess I'll leave this off to you too as well, RK. Uh, Have at it.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Actually, a Kira and Phil question, uh, from what I know, no uh, suggestion from a fellow friend. So an authentic Kira and Phil question to wrap us up. End of the podcast, folks. The question is the reveal. Here we go. What is the surefire way for getting rid of hiccups? I mean, I feel like it's a question that literally everybody wants to know when they have hiccups and they don't really care when they don't have hiccups. But here we are. To my knowledge, Donnie, you do not have hiccups. You've done a nice job on this podcast speaking without hiccups. I do not have hiccups at this point. So let's talk about hypothetically, if we did, and I'm in a, in a pinch, I've got hiccups. What is the surefire way for curing my hiccups? So
0: I've been told over time that there is no surefire way, but my surefire ways have been either super super like frozen cold water uh works okay uh i think you just you have to stun yourself out of the hiccups is kind of the, the way i would put it so like really sour food or really cold water or somebody scares you has been one that i've used i don't know if that even i someone scares you's probably not one to consider in this one but it is it was like the go-to elementary school circa yep. th- 2009 so just got to remember that but I I think you just gotta stun yourself out of it. So I my my go to is obviously always cold water. I have heard of people using like like they bite into a lemon or something like that, which is not not something that I would I would do. Not not something that I'm a fan of. Not something that's I'd rather have the hiccups than the bite into lemon. But if you're looking to do it, these are, that's what I got for you. That's all. Um, maybe RK's got more valuable info than I do, but that that's all I got.
1: So the only surefire way that I know of for getting rid of hiccups is just forgetting that you have hiccups. And the challenge is then you hiccup and you remember that you have hiccups. So that's like, that's a really big challenge. You know, sometimes it sucks. You know, it's like attacking you. You, you hiccup like every couple seconds. It'd be easy to remember mm-hmm. that you have hiccups. But I'm convinced that if you just forget that you have hiccups, it'll go away. It'll just naturally, you'll be cured of your your hiccuping. And you just got to forget it. You just got to mentally just be d- disciplined for a little bit. Forget you have hiccups. Hiccup, you know, you're going to do it, but just, you know, move past it. Just hopefully that was the last hiccup.
0: It's a valid thought because eventually the hiccups will go away. The hiccups will they not will. stay with you. So so theoretically, maybe just, just dealing with it, like RK says, and just, just forgetting that it exists, occupy yourself with something that isn't hiccups and bang, that maybe that's, you just cracked the code? It could be.
1: Yeah. I, I've also famously been on record for saying that cold is mental, and uh, if you just don't tell yourself that you're cold, well, that's that's stupid.
0: No, that, that's don't okay. don't listen to that part. The first one with the hiccups was good, but if you're still listening to this podcast and, and RK saying cold is just a mental thing, don't go outside. Don't go outside naked when it's negative ten and snowing out. You're not going to have a good time. It's not going to be a pleasant experience. It's not a mental thing either. You just like physically can't function. So don't don't listen to him on that one. But the hiccups, we'll, we'll take the hiccups answer. I didn't expect to get that tomfoolery out of RK. So that, that kind of, I went too me a far. Bit. I went too that, far. That stunned me a little bit, but we're, we're okay with his first answer. So uh, I'll give you partial credit on. Me.
1: Okay. I may have ruined my credibility for some, but not all. So that's good. Yes.
0: Yeah, so anybody that's listening to, to this deep in the podcast, probably about an hour in, you know, you, if the credibility of RK hasn't been ruined already, yeah. uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, there it goes. It's long gone now. <laughs> well, there it goes. Um, but yeah, obviously, what a week in sports! Obviously, football right around the corner. College football this weekend means we will have something other than MLB to talk about, which is a, really a pleasure. Honestly, let's be honest, Arte, The MLB season is just too long. It's just there's too much. There's too much meaningless baseball. Let's be honest. We don't need 162 games. It's it's too much. Uh, if there was something else along with it for more of the season, we'd be good. But baseball season doesn't need like three or four months on on its own. Uh, so we are really excited about that. Uh, anything else you want to tie up talk about before we end it off here?
1: No, I mean I'm still just stunned that people got shot at a White Sox game. So I'm happy that that was not me, and uh, and I'm here without any any wounds. So I'm I'm happy with that, and happy you guys made it through. Uh, the end of another rodeo on the horn podcast
0: with no wounds. We just we just want to. No clarify we, we're we very happy that nobody has wounds uh yeah but we really appreciate everybody who did listen episode 165 we're getting close to more milestones 200 will be a a pretty crazy number should be sometime like six months from now so that'll be great 34 weeks
1: if my math serves
0: hell yeah that's that's some if that's some good math we'll take it uh we Let's appreciate go. everybody who listens we appreciate that the, the thirty three thousand questions from eric and we will talk to you all again next week
1: peace everybody Shaq West is on too by the way yeah Shaq West will be on next week peace
0: life
1: could get better